time to get inspired, develop, and improve your yoga knowledge in English. You're listening to Your Yoga in English, a podcast for non-native English-speaking yogis and yoga teachers that want to practice or teach yoga worldwide. My name is Annie, the founder of Enga Unite, and here to guide you on your way to become the confident, effective, and knowledgeable English-speaking yogi you want to be. But let me introduce you because we are here for our expert interview with Michelle. And Michelle is joining us uh, to speak about inclusive language in your international yoga classes. So Michelle is a yoga teacher and she teaches uh, other teachers how to teach yoga. And she's got her own school, My Vinyasa Practice, in the States, but also hosts yoga teacher training online. And that's how I know you, because I did my 300-hour training with you. And I was absolutely inspired by the way you approach your classes and really focus on inclusivity. And I believe it's your responsibility as a yoga teacher to also notice and educate yourself on this. So I'm very, very excited to have you here for an interview about this topic. Thank you for being here. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Thank you so much for having me. That's amazing. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I already said that you live in the States and you've got your yoga school, but what else should we know about you? Yeah, well, I'm a mom of three teenagers right now, and I've been uh, leading online yoga teacher training and in-person yoga teacher training for over six years now. I have a master's in curriculum development, and I really have a passion for inclusivity. So when we started the company uh, six years ago, our values were really authenticity, accessibility, and affordability. And that accessibility piece was such a strong value to me that it actually really impacted my path as, as a teacher and as a teacher trainer and made me really draw very firm lines in the sand about what I would and would not teach and how I would teach and how I would hold space. So I went on to become a yoga therapist. Uh, so I'm a certified yoga therapist with the International Association of Yoga Therapy. And I love creating content. I love sharing content with uh, teachers. And so I'm really great, grateful to be here. Yes, it's, it's a very inspiring journey because I know that you've also lived abroad. I want to go a little bit back, further back, because in our community, we mostly have non-native English speakers. They are from either Spain, Italy, all around Central um, America and even Asia. And most of us here speak English as a second language. You have lived abroad. So I would like to know what is your experience with learning languages? Yes. Well, my husband's a linguist. So my husband is a linguist. He is fully fluent in Arabic and partially fluent in German and Spanish. And we ended up living in Kuwait for several years. And then we lived in Israel for several years. So I don't have the same aptitude for language that he does in a traditional sense of like learning foreign languages. I have a very strong aptitude for languaging in terms of inclusive languaging or uh, compassionate languaging. So I'm always thinking about language as a way to hold space. And that I think comes from when I used to teach language arts. So before I became a yoga therapist or a yoga teacher trainer, I was a teacher and I taught language arts and history. So I think that there's something about that. And coupled with the fact that I'm married to a linguist, 
that makes, you know, language such an important part of, of my practice and my life. It is very, very interesting. And I absolutely share this passion with you. I've got a massive passion for languages and I, there's, no, there's always so much to learn, always a lot changing too. We're going to speak about that in a minute. Um, but could you tell us a little bit about the way that you started practicing yoga and started your yoga teacher trainings too? Yeah. Well, I started practicing meditation when I was really young, like around nine. And then I started practicing physical asana when I was probably at around 24 or so. Um, so almost 20 years ago. And I started really in Kuwait. So I had a teacher in Kuwait that taught Ashtanga, helped me to sort of reconnect with my body after having my first child. And it was a beautiful experience. So I practiced for probably about 12, 15 years before I became a teacher. And then I became a teacher trainer after that. So it's been a lifelong journey of, you know, practicing mindfulness, both in relation to my mental health, but also in relation to my relationship with my body, my physical body. And you've explored many different fields of yoga, many different aspects. Why did you make the decision to develop these yoga teacher trainings? Well, what it really started, you know, going way back to the beginning, it started as an idea to teach classroom teachers. So academic, elementary, junior high, high school teachers, how to teach in a projection-free way. So what we're talking about is inclusive languaging. It's sort of what I'm talking about when teachers teach in an elementary school class or a high school class. A lot of times the language they use or the way they hold space is really projecting their own material, right? their insecurities, their upsets, their issues, et cetera, onto students, right? And my thought was if we could train them to use these tools to see what that inner dialogue was and to have a more contemplative practice and teach them how to come clean to our kids, right? That we would have a better education system. So that's why I wrote it originally. And what happened was right around the time I was launching, Another provider came in with more money and they were doing the same, a similar thing. And so I said, oh, well, you know, I'll just go ahead and offer it to anyone, you know? And so that's really when we pivoted and sort of created the program, made it more accessible for anyone, whether you were a mother or a yoga teacher or somebody who just wanted to deepen your practice, we had something for you. It is, and it is still very broad. When I enrolled in a program I was really surprised by the diversity and the different aspects it's really something I think it's important to have knowledge of everything and like we said at the start it's very important that we also know how to include everyone in your classes so let's dive into the topic of today inclusive language for international yoga classes what does inclusive language really mean I think inclusive language means it's language that meets everyone where they're at. And it doesn't project, it doesn't judge, it doesn't uh, polarize things, right? You know, it, with perception. It just is a foundation for exploration. And then inclusivity in language can be very different in every country because there's different roots. There's different ways that we conjugate the verbs or use words because there's a lot of words that get lost in translation. So does this inclusive language vary from language to language? 
I'm sure it does. It varies from culture to culture. I know this for a fact, even within the English language. So I'm sure it does vary from, you know, language to language as well. You know, different languages have different sayings, right? Or cultural things that go into the, the just the, the way that we speak. So I definitely think that it varies. How do you think you can stay on top of this? Because most of us here do speak another language or they even speak more languages, do want to translate from one language to another. Is there a way to really stay on top of what's inclusive and what's not? I do think there is a way. I think that if we look at what we're talking about, then we can really do due diligence to be as inclusive as possible with regardless of what the language is. So for example, in yoga, we have to cue anatomical cues, right? Cueing anatomically using, you know, the layman's anatomical word for that, whatever language it is, rather than slang or something that is polarized in some way. So I'll give you an example of that. You know, if I'm cueing warrior two, for example, maybe I want to cue that they bring the hip underneath or, or back, they pull their hip back, right? I would say, you know, pull your hip back or bring your hip crease back rather than bring your booty back, right? If, if that, that slang can be offensive or it can be jarring, polarizing for people. So I would say stay away from slang, use inclusive language that is neutral and non-polarizing, speak to the body part, right? Um, another example is tummy. In the United States, they'll say lay on your tummy, Well, it, I've worked in eating recovery. And so I never say tummy or belly. I always say abdomen. So because it's just a more neutral word, it's less polarizing. And we ultimately have no idea what people are coming into class with. So when we can offer language that is neutral and supportive and sort of benign in nature, then it can really be a gift to our students. Yeah, absolutely. And you already mentioned, you touched on your work in eating recovery. I know that in your trainings, you also focus a lot on trauma-informed language, which I think is somewhat in line with inclusive language. They all come back together. They all uh, have to do with each other. Could you give us some examples of situations or demographics maybe of groups of people where we really have to take into account this type of inclusive language? I think if you're dealing with special populations, inclusive language is an absolute must. I mean, I try to use inclusive language in everything that I do, but obviously we're all human and sometimes we say things. We, and I am, again, I could use the most benign word for a body part or a cue and it might activate somebody. So, you know, we do the best we can. At the end of the day, we all have our different experiences. But I think that if I was trying to create a inclusive environment. So we were looking for an example. I'm sorry. <laughs> I will go off topic. Now, some examples, because I think eating recovery is a really, really great example of this. But there are obviously different special groups you, you mentioned that yes. requires more specific language or more general language. Could you give examples of those groups? So I think that you know, one group might be people that have uh, visual or audio impairments. Like that's one of the things we work a lot with. For example, hearing impaired students have a very difficult time catching like the theme of 
the class. So it's just a different way to couch the theme. You might do it when everybody's sitting up, you know, so that they can read your lips so that they can know where you're going with sort of the underlying theme of the class. If you have someone who's maybe visually impaired in class, a lot of times visually impaired students will come to all levels, general classes. And so avoiding things like, you know, you can see, look at, or you can see, you know, those types of things. And then I think, you know, also just for the general population, there is so much trauma and it's, Mm -hmm. it has to do with so many different variables. So just giving people permission to, you know, take whatever posture feels comfortable to them to adapt as necessary, that they can always come to a comfortable seat if they need to collect themselves. Giving people permission to be authentic in their practice, I think is another way of using inclusive language. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. So then in your experience, do you think there's enough focus on language awareness among yoga teachers and maybe other yoga teacher trainers? I don't know that there is. I think a lot of times in yoga teacher trainings, the yoga teacher trainer is in a place of projecting their practice of teaching, right? And even in our training, I teach in a projection-free way, right? So I am going to project that and I'm going to teach everyone those methods, whether they want to use them or not, I'm not attached to, but at least I want to give them those tools, right? But I do think in a lot of trainings, you know, if you have a teacher trainer that's very theatrical, for example, then they're going to teach those theatrics, which is fine, but maybe they aren't as aware of how those theatrics are going to impact their students. So I do think that many trainings are lacking in inclusivity and inclusive language. And for people that maybe aren't as aware of this yet, this topic is new to them or it's something that they haven't really studied before, how can you pick up on this? If you maybe search for another training or if you search for another teacher trainer? So I think it's just noticing what bothers you is the first step. So you think back to a class that you've been in. Was there ever a cue or something that a teacher said that really impacted you and activated you, made you feel uncomfortable or awkward or didn't feel like it went with the class, right? So that's number one. And then the second step is then now think about other people. Think about the people in your life that you know and love. Are there any cues that you've heard in a yoga class that might make them feel upset or insecure or, you know, excluded in some way? You know, so that would be the first two steps. And then the second step, I would say, is more of a holding or a third step, rather, is more of a holding space. It's remember that you're holding space for the whole community. So rather than going in and like be, you know, acknowledging your best student in the front row, acknowledge the whole class, you know, and that's something that will just help to make it a more inclusive space in and of itself. I think you really, really are great at doing this and teaching other people about this. It's something that there are many words and expressions, and especially if you're learning a language that you don't really take into account in a way that it could be offensive or it could exclude people, it could hurt people or bring people back to any form of trauma. What are some basic mistakes that you've seen teachers make and maybe have caused them to exclude other people in their classes or certain individuals in an international class or maybe in a studio setting, maybe even online? Yeah, I think so. There, there's two experiences I'm going to share with you. So the first experience was a couple of years ago, a friend of mine, 
and I went to a studio in town and it was a small class. And the teacher was very dogmatic about the way she wanted alignment. And, you know, I mean, I'm not dogmatic about alignment. It it varies from body to body. And so she kept physically adjusting us and saying, oh, I'm going to fix you. Oh, we need to fix that, stuff like that. Well, it wouldn't have been as bad except for my friend that was with me. It was the birth date. It happened to be the day that her child was supposed to be born and she had had a stillborn. And so it was a very emotional day for her already. And then to have somebody telling you that you're wrong in your body, you're wrong in your body. So that teacher didn't know that that was a tough day for my friend, right? But the language that she used was so offensive that I wasn't even having a bad day and I was offended. I can't imagine what my friend felt like. So that's one example of something that I feel like we need to be very careful of. If we are so married to our dogma of the way we think a pose should look, we need to sit with that. We need to ask ourselves why. Our students aren't going to injure themselves because they're out of alignment. That's not how injury happens. Injury happens because of repetitive movements over and over again, or it happens over a long period of time with misalignment or, you know, misdistribution of the weight of the body, right? Mm -hmm. So if a student comes into my class and their warrior two looks jacked, I'm not going to pick at them. I'm going to get them to connect to their breath. That's my goal. Connect the mind to the breath and the movements to the breath. If they can do that, I don't care about the rest of it because that will come in time with awareness, right? So I think that that's one thing is to really note or be aware of what you are attached to as a teacher. And then the second thing, you know, I've heard is, you know, people polarizing postures. Like, for example, if you get into chair pose, they're like, oh, we know everybody hates this pose or everybody's favorite pose. And that's just taking away. It's distracting the students from what they're doing, which is connecting their body and their breath. It's not supposed to be entertainment. Yoga is about coming in, not extrovert, like externalizing ourselves, right? So providing the students with a place to drop out of the thinking mind and into the sensational body, I think is part of our job description. And when we fail to do that, it becomes something other than yoga. And as a teacher, is there a way to actually pick up on this when you do this yourself? I think very often, and and this happened to me before too, that you hear something, it sounds nice, it sounds logical or obvious, but when you start thinking about, you realize like, actually, I can't say that, or this is not what I do want to teach. How do you find out with yourself, maybe when you have ingrained patterns of saying something? I think that really thinking about what you're saying as you're saying it is one of the tools that I've used. And I have said things that have not been inclusive. As soon as they come out of my mouth, I'm like, whoa, that should not have come out of my mouth. We're all learning how to heal through humanity, right? So I don't expect anyone to be inclusive all the time. But when we notice that, oh, maybe that's not inclusive, then 
we can take a step back and find a way to reword it. I think a lot of people here like to use specific methodologies. They like to make use of themes. Mm-hmm. I once heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I heard that you personally are not using themes anymore or don't like using them anymore. First, could you tell us why that is? And then I would like to hear some examples of things that are inclusive and are not inclusive in class. Sure. So the first, you know, the theme thing, I used to theme, I will theme if it's a special class or something like that. But traditionally, I don't theme in an all levels class because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to use vinyasa yoga as a therapy. I'm basically trying to get my students into a hyper aroused state where I can use the practice as biofeedback. So I am saying I'm getting them, you know, warmed up and in warming them up, their nervous system is like, all right, we're getting ready to run from a cheetah, right? And so we're really warming up the body. Now I get them in a chair pose twist and and their nervous system is like, where's the cheetah? And so the heart's beating fast and their breathing is all, you know, like erratic. And I bring their awareness back to that. I say, notice your heartbeat. Notice your breath. Can you bring your awareness to your breath to regulate your heartbeat? And that is biofeedback, right? So if I'm teaching them that, I'm teaching them how to connect breath and body movements together. And then I'm teaching them how to self-regulate through yoga asana and pranayama. To me, that is a therapeutic application of vinyasa yoga. So I would rather do that Then if I add another layer, like maybe I theme around grief or I theme around empowerment or I theme around something else that takes them out of the physical sensational body and into the head, right? So for me, yes, there is a place for theming. And I think that theming can be fantastic, especially if you're doing like an event or you're doing like a special class or a workshop on chakras or something. I think that's great. But for the typical day-to-day class, what we're trying to do is get them in a state of yoga, which is a state of being, right? That meditative state of being. And we want to teach them how to get that off the mat. So the next time they're fighting with a partner or they get cut off on the road or they have an argument or something that they can regulate and come back to a place of responsiveness rather than reactivity. So, you know, a few themes that I've seen that are good and maybe some that are not so good. You know, I've seen, you know, some people that like really love to theme around like the gods and goddesses, right? Mm -hmm. And this can be great and it can also not be great. So again, you have to be very careful with the way you do it because really the gods and goddesses are not like actual beings as much as they are aspects of being, right? So if you take those aspects, like the aspect of Shakti, creativity, you know, manifestation, you know, like transformation, like these are all like Shakti attributes and use that to theme, that's going to be a lot more, that's will be better received than if, you were to talk about, you know, Shakti and, you know, her sword and her this and that, you know, and like really getting into that gods and goddess sort of guru mentality, because it might work for some people, it might not work for others. So it's just writing the line, I think, you know, another example might be the chakras. And like, you might be theming around the root chakra. And you might use words like you are safe, you are secure. 
but you might have somebody who has experienced trauma and PTSD and does not feel safe and secure and does not feel like they have autonomy. So even that saying that is activating in them an insecurity that you're unaware of. So rather than going, you know, into it with such blunt sort of themes, you can soften it a little bit and you can talk about reconnecting with the earth, reestablishing security in your life, reestablishing autonomy or connecting to autonomy, you know? And so these are the same themes. They're just not as sharp, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I think those are really, really great examples. And especially with people coming from all different backgrounds, different cultures, different religions, it's so important that we keep it as general as possible. Are there approaches in the class maybe that people can take into account or reconsider when they teach tomorrow and the weeks ahead? Um, You know, I think, again, just remembering it's all about the student. We as yoga teachers, we get so excited. We've got an idea for class. We're going to do this thing. And, you know, maybe take a deep breath and, yeah, be excited about your inspiration But at the end of the day, it's about the students. So if you walk into the room and the energy is really low and that arm balancing technique that you wanted to teach is just not going to go over well, you know, listen to the student's energy, feel the student's energy. So really connecting and and coming to your students with a a sense of non-attachment to your perception of how it should be and to their energy level or, you know, goal for practice. Mm -hmm. beautiful really really nice thank you so much for sharing all of this and taking the time to speak to us in the meantime is there anything else that you would like to share or recommend yeah no I mean I'm just so grateful for this community and you all keep inspiring me to keep creating we're just we are just launched a pre-registration for the Ayurvedic uh, nutrition certification last week We're about to launch our children's yoga certification this week, uh, along with a couple new author courses. So, you know, we've got a prenatal training coming up. We just really appreciate all of you as part of our community because you keep inspiring us to create new things. So thank you for everything that you do. Thank you. Honestly, (laughs) we wouldn't be here without you either. It really is amazing. You've got such a variety of courses and trainings and everything is just so broad and amazing. And again, Michelle, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you feel inspired and like what you learned today, I'd love for you to leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Enga Unite. Join the community and become a member of the Teach Yoga in English support group on Facebook. Practice, rest, repeat and all will come.